From Daylight, I'm Kazuki Akiba. I'm Brandon Beiser. And this is Sound Eye Baseball. This is a podcast where you and I find unseen baseball gems by analyzing them alongside different trends, news, and motivation behind many moves around the league today. On today's episode, we have reached the MLB postseason, so it is time for a wild card round preview. Welcome to another episode of Sayonara Baseball. My name is Brandon Beiser. With me, the person who will be riding in first position in this episode, Kazuki Akiba. Um, first off, so I'll just quickly apologize. Uh, we tried several times to get this live on LinkedIn uh, on Sunday night, October 1st. Uh, and we failed. How many times did we fail, Kazuki? Uh, I want to say... Five times at this point. Five times. Five times. Um, so LinkedIn folks, there's not going to be an episode on the LinkedIn broadcast system for this round. Uh, hopefully for rounds to the division series, championship series and world series, we get back on LinkedIn because we know we have a great audience there and we're so appreciative of you, but to the baseball elbow season is done, which means it is our favorite season. It is postseason. This is how Kazuki and I started doing this three years ago. So we're going to get right into it. We have four series beginning at 3 p.m. on Tuesday, October 3rd. Kazuki, we are starting in Toronto, Ontario, Canada at the Rogers Center, Minnesota. Oh, wait, sorry. We're talking at starting at Target Field in Minneapolis, Minnesota, because Minnesota as the AL Central winner will host the lowest remaining wildcard team, the Toronto Blue Jays. So we're going to the Great White North, Minnesota, playing Toronto. Sounds like a hockey matchup, but this is baseball. So let's get into it. Let's start with the lowest ranked team in the postseason for the American League, the Toronto Blue Jays. Now yeah. I think of the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, I'm thinking of a couple of things very, very quickly. Uh, their pitching is very good. Uh, their starting pitching has been very good this entire year. And the first pitcher who was in acquisition recently is Kevin Gosman, who was re- most recently practice one on the San Francisco Giants. So tell me about Kevin Gosman and why we believe he is going to be the, the most important starter in this potential three game series. Well, well, first of all, let me start off with, um, you know, how people go watch this broadcast. So it's going to be on ESPN, the main broadcast for Twins oh, yeah. versus Blue so, Jays. Well, so let's, I, let me, uh, let, let, I will that. do that. I should, I will do that while we discuss, I will add, I will make sure I add that for the future ones. Okay. So yes, this one will start at on 4.38 p.m. Yep. First pitch yep. on October Perfect. 3rd, game game one. So let me start off from there. So first, uh, let me talk over the Toronto Blue Jays and their strength and weakness. Uh, 89 and 73, finishing off the season. And as Brandon alluded to, they have a really strong starting pitching. And Kevin Gosman, who's their ace this season, uh, is probably their game one starter. So I'll tell you why Kevin Gosman's a great starter. So... First off, his baseline stat, 12 and 9, 316 ERA. And his K through 9 is probably the biggest thing about Kevin Gosman is 11.53 with a 2.97 FIP, 5.3 war. So he generated pretty much a lot more than anyone outside of Garrett Cole. Main reason is because he has a premier pitch in his splitter. He throws 38% of the time and slugging percentage is very low against the opponent, 307, with a 43% whiff rate. And they're all batting 201. So that's a big uh, arsenal coming out of the Blue Jays, considering they have a lot of weakness. And I would say this this matchup is pretty flawed 
and it could go either way depending on the starting pitching. So that's your game one starter. Right. And we, we, they, I, when we get to Minnesota, they, apparently they have put the probable start off Minnesota, uh, but we'll, we'll get to that later. So let's go through the other starters potentially could be thrown in here. Um, Jose Barrios, former Minnesota twin, uh, who has a 3.65 ERA with a sub-500 record, but just barely. Uh, Chris Bassett, the former athlete, Oakland Athletic, uh, who has a 16-8 record with a 3.6 ERA. Yusei Kikuchi, uh, former Mariner, 11-6 uh, with 3.86 ERA. So all sub-4 ERAs, great starters. They have four very good choices here. And they all, I was going to, this is an interesting statistic that I have. They are the only team to have four pitchers, the four we named, to start at least 31 games this year, which is, Great. Uh, so that's impressive to have that, you know, consistency uh, to depend on. Uh, the, the next thing that I want to get into is their defense. And I think that kind of starts with Kevin Kiermeyer, uh, but also George Springer. Uh, and they have Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You don't have Russell Randall Gritchick anymore, uh, but that yeah. whole... That entire def- that entire outfield is very good. And their infield is actually quite good since they kind of move people around, putting Vlad uh, at first. And, you know, no, but you're missing the biggest piece out of that infield defense is Matt Chapman, your uh, former so yes, lover. The former athletic Matt Chapman, who I, is quite good. Thank you for reminding me. So if you go around the horn, you have Matt Chapman, Bobachette, Kevin Biggio, normally Kevin Biggio, and Vladimir Gro Jr., which are all very good players. In the outfield, obviously, Kevin Kiermaier um, and Gord Springer. Who's the starting left, we think? Well, it would depend on if it's uh, Dan Schneider or uh, any other like outfield depth uh, they've been playing. But usually it's uh, Darton uh, Varsho. Right. Varsho, who is a popular, I say, one of the, probably the favorite name for Dan Schulman, the radio bro- TV broadcaster, to say out loud every time. Uh so they, they have a great defensive team. Uh, they have uh, they have seventh in team overall fielding percentage with sixth least amount of errors committed by fielders. That's fantastic. Uh, and then the last big strength of theirs, which I think is going to be a weakness for a lot of other teams, is their bullpen. Uh, they have the ninth best in terms of Fangraph's war of 5.1. They have a 3.92 FIP and 74.8% left on base percentage, which is very good. Uh, tell me about Tim Maya, Jordan Romano, Eric Swanson, and the and the acquisition this year, Jordan Hicks. Well, uh, this year, yep. Uh, so the last year, that was uh, uh, Blue Jays' weakness, and this year they uh, addressed it quite well. So Tim uh, Tim uh, Meza, at, uh, who has a one three eight ERA, was at eighty seven point nine percent left on base, and Jordan Romano. That that's been the mainstay since last year. Uh, Jordan Romano being, their- being their closer. Correct. Yes. And then, but then the biggest thing is their acquisitions that they brought in. So big one is Eric Swanson, who's pitched a three, five ERA was a 10, 14 K nine was 82% left on base. And obviously Jordan Hicks, who's throwing hundred miles per hour fastball. So I think the big story of why they're successful this season is the fact that they left a lot of runners on base on a crucial situation. 75% is a pretty big rate. And that's why they're successful. Not the best that you could find, but, at least competitive for the wild card round. Yeah, so I mean they're great, and uh, but I, I, as much as we talk about their strengths, I, I want to quickly jump into their weaknesses. And and the one that really kind of surprised me, yeah, is, their power outage uh, this season is uh, something to be notable of. Uh, 
if you look at the team itself, it's uh, there. There's no one in the roster who has hit 30 home runs this season. Uh, Bay, there might be fair, some injuries, startling. you know. Considering the names we rattle off, Springer, Guerrero, Bobashet. Yeah, I mean, like Kevin Kier was not a home run hitter, but like no one's got 30, which is surprising to me. Yeah, uh, especially Guerrero going low with his low exit velo, I think is uh, has been hurting his stats, but also the team. But uh, the biggest, I, I guess, uh, notable weakness is their inconsistent offense, obviously, was uh, Brandon Belt was the highest uh, WRC+. plus. He's a very streaky hitter, if you've known it in the San Francisco uh, era. But he has 137 WRC+, plus, which is 37% above league average. Probably one of the best hitter in their team. Uh, hitting 18 home runs, a two RBIs, and 251 in limited plate appearance. And after that's Bo Bichette, who was also out with injury, but has a 3.8 WAR, was a 307 batting average, 20 home runs, 73 RBIs, and 124 uh, weighted runs uh, created plus. So collectively, they're seven percent above average, was 107, was a 21 percent K rate, and 187 home runs. So. Overall, it's not a bad hitting team, but something's very weak. And I think something that we could attribute to is their leverage situation, especially in high leverage situation. They are negative 5.17 on fan graphs, fourth worst in the league, which is yeah, probably they, they why they're they are not pretty a clutch bad. team. They are they 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 are not a clutch team. I mean, I'm going to bring Salmary as much as I can because you know this is our this is our podcast. We never want last year. That's when they crumbled. Salmariners came back and just torched them in that in that series in Toronto late in the game and especially in game two um the the thing that i remember about this team this year is they would get up and then they wouldn't hold a lead or they wouldn't get a big lead and they would lose and that's why we always were kind of a little bit nervous to see how they would do overall so that's, I mean, I would say, uh, I want to say they would be like having a huge lead. Like if you watch, watch some of their yeah, games, they, they, they would they have produce some a lot lead. of runs. When they produce a lot of runs, they can blow you out the water. But when they don't hit. Now, that they're not, that's not the case for them this year. Maybe in 21 they were, but this year they're more steady. Like they'll score some runs, but they won't score as much, which is why they've had a lot of close games and starting that's pitching true. has been carrying that, that is something I've noticed, especially last month. So we'll stop there on them. Go to their opponent. The home team, Minnesota Twins, their strength is the proposed game. The probable game one starter is the first person we're going to talk about. And that's Pablo Lopez. Um, my goodness, what an acquisition this, this young man is. Um, he is. I would say it's a fair acquisition. Considering right, from the rise. Yeah. By the, by the fairest trade, at least the last couple of years that we've thought of. Uh, 11, he's 11-8 with 3.66 ERA. He had a career high of 234 strikeouts this year and a 15.6% swing strike percentage, top 10 in the league. He figured out that breaking pitch this year and he developed a very good horizontal slider, which some people will call a sweepier slider, uh, which is great to see because the longer he stays in the game, the better for this team. Uh, so I think that's really important. And then the second best ERA. Behind Garrett Cole this year, the presumed Cy Young, AL Cy Young winner, was 8-8 eight and eight Sonny Gray with a 2.79 ERA. They're probably their second best pitcher. Will probably pitch game two uh, if all things go according to plan. So I think they have quite the starting pitching. But tell me about, I mean, I never really thought about this with Minnesota, but their offense has been very good this year. Uh, uh, yeah, I would say it's pretty streaky at best. It's very uh, mediocre. I mean, 
obviously it's a positive is the WRC plus is in top six, which isn't saying much considering most of the offense for the most part has been kind of downhill, just like in 429. And but then we're going to go to the weakness. So the, the reason why they're slugging so high is because they hit the most home run out of uh, everyone in the league in American yeah, League. Yeah, they also have extremely high strikeout rate. <laughs> yeah, okay, let, let me get into this. So, yeah, so they rank pretty low in batting average at 244, 21st in all of baseball. And, they're high, and they have a high strike strikeout rate in baseball, 26.6%. And it really doesn't help to have Joey Gallo in your team who strikes out 43% of the time, uh, especially this season. And the interesting part is despite hitting 233 home runs, they had no one hit 30 home runs this season. And their most home runs that hit as a twin is uh, Max Kapler at 24 home runs. Uh, but, you know, there's some season highlights. I've, I've been watching some of their games lately. Uh, Royce Lewis was 155 weighted uh, runs created plus, which is crazy. But he did hit that four grand slams in, in like one, one week, which was kind of nuts to watch. And it was mostly against the Rangers. And uh, and I think the main attributes to why they had pretty consistent offense and not having key contributor, pretty much a lot of role players contributing is the fact that there are a lot of injuries uh, like to uh, Byron Buxton, obviously uh, Carlos Correa not doing well, but also late call-ups was uh, Eduard Julian and Matt Warner probably hurt a little bit, but you know those two guys really uh, stepped up the game that kind of helped out. So I think that those those are the reason and. Like the Blue Jays, they're not great in high leverage situation. On Fangraphs, they're the sixth worth so far at negative 4.49. So that means you probably will lose four extra games with their, um, how they act in high leverage situation. And the other part is their bullpen has not been good despite them having a reputation of having a couple good flamethrower like Yuan Duran, who pitched a 2.45 ERA, 12, uh, 13K through 9 was a 75% left on base percentage. And uh, Griffin Jacks is another guy, 3.86 ERA. And Emilio Pagan from that San Diego trade was a 3.03 ERA. Have been the notable good ones, but otherwise they've been pretty shaky at best, was a shaky uh, left on base percentage of 73.3%. So overall, I think the key takeaways I would say between the two uh, teams is uh, it's going to come down to starting pitching and right. whichever this is, starting this pitching Matt, fumbles, this, then I this think this series um, is, is definitely issue. a starting pitching series. I, I like that you, I appreciate that you brought that up as like the, the number one strength for both teams. That is definitely it, is starting pitching. Uh, we don't make predictions here anymore because we are very bad at them, but I am intrigued by the starting pitching. Uh, Toronto has not announced their starters yet. Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray are the first two for the twins uh so we're gonna end on this one so just to remind you kazuki brought this up so we're gonna we're gonna cut it we'll make this room inches hopefully at least once for each one every series for the wild card starts at the exact same time on the exact same network all three potential days so starting on the 3rd of october at 4 30 p.m on espn the main espn toronto at minnesota 4 30 PM ESPN to the second AL wildcard series. Tampa uh, so, Bay yep. in Texas. This game will be played at the Trop in Tampa Bay. Texas squeaking in on the second to last day uh, by beating the Mariners and Houston beating the Diamondbacks. Uh, in Texas, 
lost the division today, Sunday, with a loss to the Mariners. So Houston won the division, and by definition, got the bye. Texas now has to go on the road from Seattle and fly across the country, the farthest, second farthest distance between two ballparks, to the Trop, play Tampa. This game will start 3 p.m., Tuesday, Wednesday, potentially Thursday on ABC. This is a broadcast ABC game. So we're going to start with the team that has now officially, I think officially, said they're going to stay in St. Pete. For the yeah, next 30 and it years. has a really nice stadium coming out of St. Pete. It was a bunch of malls. Uh, very so excited they're, to see they're, that. So they, they, they finally tried this out. Uh, a great resource to Tampa Bay Rays before we get into it. Uh, please follow Trisha Whitaker. She is the reporter for Bally Sports Sun. Uh, she covers the Rays. Uh, she is really quick to update a lot of the roster moves. So follow her on uh, threads, Instagram, X, Twitter, whatever. Just make sure that I get a lot of information about the Rays from her. And she is fantastic. Hopefully she'd come on our podcast soon. Uh, but let's get into this team. This team is great. <laughs> I mean, there's no way around saying it. The, on the fact that they're terrible with injuries, they're yeah. just very good. Uh, so I would like start to say with um, this is probably the most uh, interesting series to watch out of all the wild card series. I'm going to argue Arizona Milwaukee is only because no. of, I, I don't uh, I don't I don't know a lot about them. So I'm more intrigued by what no, I don't know. I, I disagree. I think it's but, this series. So, okay. so for I'll go. Okay. So this series intrigued me because it has the most dynamic set of teams. You have no idea how it, how each outcome is going to be like in this game. It could be 10 to 5 or it could be 2 to 0. It could be, it could just be off the rails in this new series because these two teams are so different. Um, so let's start with the offense of Tampa Bay. Yeah, it's a, it's a, one of the best offense. As you uh, guys seen, they were 13 and 0 to start off the season. Uh, very great despite having a lot of injuries in this uh, uh, department as well, but their offense is fifth highest, has a fifth by highest batting average, 259. Second best WRC plus of 117 behind the Atlanta Braves. Fourth highest slugging at 443 and sixth most home run in the league. And this features the AL batting champion, uh, Yandy Diaz, who beat out the other uh, supposed batting champion who was holding it for at least a few months, uh, playing on the opposing side. But he had a 330 uh, batting average with 22 home runs. 95 RBIs in a WRC plus is 164, which is pretty nuts, and 350 on base percentage. And supporting cast includes Isaac Paredes, uh, who came from the Detroit Tigers trade with uh, Austin Meadows. So this is Tampa being a very good at trading. Uh, he had 249, 31 home runs, 69 RBIs, 136 WRC plus. And then Josh Lowe, another rookie, uh, who came up through the uh, race system hitting really well uh, after having a down year last year, uh, hitting 292, 20 home runs, 70 RBIs, and 131 WRC plus. And they had loads of other names like Harold Ramirez, Randy Rosarena, and Brandon Lau hitting uh, 117 WRC plus or above. And obviously, there's one player we're not going to mention who did really well as well, which is why their offense has been very potent and kind of crazy. And then I think we have to talk about the other strength. It's not just their hitting, but, you know, their pitching's been pretty good. Despite okay, a quick, them, a quick you know, on the pitching. Yeah, they have lost their two best pitchers or two of their best. McClanahan and Rasmussen are not probably going to pitch in this. I think are gone. They're definitely not pitching this right. McClanahan has a uh, Tommy John surgery. So, right, yeah, so he's been not on. happening. And Drew Rasmussen, I believe, is not coming. So we're going to start with they have the best 
strikeout per nine at nine, almost 10. They have the fourth best ERA at 3.89, and they have a 15.4 war. And that's made up of Shane McClanahan, who is not pitching, Drew Masterson, who's probably not pitching, Zach Eflin, who had in 177 and two-thirds innings pitched, had a 16.16 and 8 record with a 3.5 ERA and a 4.8 war. He yeah, is, he's a he, force. Right. Zach Eflin, the former Philly, is the proposed, the probable game two starter on Wednesday. And then the game one starter, the surfer flow hair, the tall, the tall power pitcher, Tyler Glass now, the former Pirate, 120 innings pitched with a 12.15K per nine, a 3.53 ERA, and a 3.2 war. He is the proposed probable game one starter on Tuesday. He is a Cy Young candidate every year he goes out there. Uh, yeah, so whenever he's healthy, so excited, I think it's so excited to see him. The one play, pitcher which I will know is not part of this rotation or the bullpen this year, who's on the Dodgers, who I think will be important. So we get to the series about the division series, is Ryan Yarborough. He is not on the team anymore, but let's go to that bullpen. Their bullpen, again, is so good. 10th best bullpen with an ERA of 3.82. They have the eighth best war at 5.1. And that is made up of Peter Fairbanks. So how good was Peter Fairbanks this year? He's very good every year. Peter Fairbanks was very good this I year. I mean, he's been injured, but like, I'm glad he's back uh, healthy again uh, this year. Uh, very electric starter was a rising fastball and splitter, uh, 2.58 ERA, 3.5K per nine. And I think the biggest part is the fact that he left a lot of runners on base when he pitched 78.6% per, percent in a BABIP of 258. And his FIP was 2.71, so very much aligned with the ERA. I think the biggest part we have to talk about are some career resurgence and some unknowns that the Rays are pretty good at developing. Uh, Kevin Kelly, I don't think you've ever heard of him, but he's nope, more to me Kelly. It's like a Josh Fleming type pitcher, very much contact oriented, but his ERA, he pitched in 56 games, was a 3.17 ERA, 3.09 FIP. 7.3 K per nine, not that high, but he doesn't walk that many people at 1.93. He walks less walk than per nine. two batters per nine innings, which is what you want out yeah. of a reliever. So that's and really I good. Think the other big part is the fact that he doesn't give up many home runs, 3.2% uh, uh, home run per uh, uh, fly ball rate, which is really solid. And I think the big one we have to talk about is Robert Stevenson. Again, another name I have no idea who he is. I've nah, <laughs> he was part of the uh, Reds bullpen and uh, during the 2020 season, and he came out of the Rockies bullpen, did not do so hot, but he has a career resurgence with the Rays. 66 games pitched, 2.3 ERA, was a 78.9% left on base percent, was a 14.09 K per nine. And like That's really high. Yeah. He has so, a 97 to 99 mile per hour, like electric fastball that really helps him out. And I think he really fits in with this uh, Rays uh, bullpen. Right. So this, this is the Kevin Cash special. If your starters, your starters only go five innings, fine. I have the best bullpen in the business. I can run. I can run. Uh, but that brings us to their weakness is their depth. Uh, they are playing a lot of pitchers and a lot of players who do not have a lot of postseason experience because like we said earlier, McClanahan, Jeffrey Springs, Drew Rasmussen are all injured. They only have three arms, if not adding Bradley into the rotation. Uh, that's Glasnow, Eflin, and Savali. That could be a costly, costly problem. Uh, and yeah. also strike out a lot. They have a 22.4% K rate, which is greater than the Texas Rangers we're going to get into right now. The Texas Rangers are power bat city. Uh, uh, Arlington at Globe Life, they are just 
dropping. I mean, they're just hitting home runs every time. It's incredible. You talk with Adelise Garcia, Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, and then you add in all these other players. We'll start at the top. They have the third best slugging in percentage in baseball, 454. They have the fourth. Uh, what else do they have here? They have the fourth best walk rate, <laughs> tie for third most in home runs, and the second highest batting average. But there's one other stat that you end up putting. They have the fourth best WRC plus at 115 as a team. Ooh, that's yeah. high. And that's, really that's comprised of really great hitters this season. Uh, obviously, you mentioned Adolis Garcia, who was an RBI leader at one point, but hitting 39 home runs, 107 RBIs, and 124 WRC+. Plus. And then we have Corey Seager, who was the batting champion until today, losing to Yanni Diaz at the end of the season. But he had 330, was 33 home runs, 96 RBIs, was 171 WRC+. Plus. And this is despite only playing 118 games. So if he played more, I think it's stats, he would be a 40 home run candidate. If he played more, he's, 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 probably, he's probably a 41 kind of guy. Um, yeah. And then obviously Marcus Simeon's uh, always consistent and great, hitting 278, 29 home runs, 100 RBIs, was 126 WRC+. And what really helped him out this season is having a really good supporting cast of Josh Young, Evan Carter, Mitch Garver and Nathaniel Lowe hitting above 116 WRC plus. Uh, I think having those type of offense will win you games for sure. And then, and then their next best thing is their starting pitching. And we're not going to talk about Max Scherzer um, because he is, you know, not able to injured. pitch. Um, they have the seventh best ERA at 3.97. They have the fourth highest uh, left on base percentage of 75.2%. Nathan Eovaldi. 12-5 record, 3.63 RA, 8.25 Ks per nine innings. Then Dane Dunning, who went from like, who went from when Scherzer came into the bullpen and then he had to be put back in the starting lineup and he pitched the game that they clinched against Seattle. Uh, he's a 10-6 record, 3.57 RA and a 79.5% left on base percentage. So really yeah, high. I, I think that was a pretty good trade overall. I mean, they gave up uh, Lance Lynn to get Dane Dunning and it took him a couple of years to settle in. But he's been pretty good hybrid role, you know, being the long man and then coming back to start. And he's done a great job. Right. And then the last thing is the trade acquisition of Jordan Montgomery. Since the trade deadline is a 4-2 record, 11 games. He started with a 2.79 ERA, almost an 81% left on base percentage and a 1.7 war. So they have a great rotation if they're staying healthy uh, and they can kind of get their way through it. Um, the, the weakness and I credit Rick Riz and Dave Sims and Aaron Goldsmith for pointing us out a hundred times during the broadcast over the weekend. Uh, their bullpen is not great. Uh, they have a lack of pitching depth overall from the top, from the starters to the bullpen, but their bullpen has issues. Uh, they have the seventh worst bullpen ERA of almost five. Uh, they have a fifth worst in leaving runners on base, at least 68%. They have the eighth worst K per nine at 8.86. Um, and then, yeah, and fourth highest uh, home run to five ball ratio at 13%. Uh, so if you give up a lot of bombs and if you don't leave enough run on base, they're bound to score. And I think we've seen that uh, during the month of August during their collapse of four and 16. Right, which is why my the alarm went off on, on, on my phone here, just as like you're my time so well, just like it usually does to remind me just how, how the alarm of their bullpen, their bullpen has an, has an alarmingly bad statistics. Uh, so 
Yeah, I don't need the, the keys to win for this game are. Hold on, get, but there's one more thing that why they've been pretty bad as well, and oh, it's kind of shown. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's been shown during the month of August. Is they they have not scored well, and if you've they been watching the terrible, Twins and Rangers slump in August, yeah, yeah. So if if you if you were watching a Rangers twin series, you could clearly see that they could not score anyone, and the bullpen couldn't help hold up. So they were ranked 23rd in the league was negative three point two five. And according to fan graphs, so um, you know yeah, they were a lot of games. Doing that. that was rough to watch them kind of like falter because they they were they were leading the division for so long. They outpaced the Astros, the Mariners. They were leading, and then they just they fell more than the Astros and Mariners rose up to the challenge to a certain point. The Mariners yeah. were very good. The Astros were good, but the 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 their their losing made the West more competitive than it probably expected to be. Uh, the keys to win for this game are. Can the can the Rangers not depend on their bullpen so much? I think that's the first thing. The second thing is how potent are their bats going to be? That's the second thing for the Rangers. For the for the Rays, I think can the Rays be the Rays? Like the Rays in the postseason are just this unique breed of a team. Like they are so good at just managing effort and rest and timing, and position playing, and who to bat. And they just can they you know outsmart the Rangers? I think, uh, but their weakness is their depth is not great. Uh, let, let me take over the, this part as well. But um, yeah, for me, the keys to win is obviously uh, you have two great managers in Kim Cash, uh, who's more of a new age analytics guy versus oh, that's true. G, you, you have, you who have the new age versus the old age, right? So, so I think the keys to me, uh, if you look at based on all these stats, is one is. Obviously, longevity from the starting pitching. Both starting pitching is good enough. So it's a matter of how you utilize their starting pitching and how you yank them early or not, depending on how they're performing. Because you only have two out of three. You need to win two games out of the three game set. So That's th- it. there's two really not much. So the keys is either that and also it's both for both teams. Honestly, for me, is offense. If they can't score right away, I think it's going to be a tough matchup for both. And it's going to be a huge grind uh, and toll on all their pitching considering that they have lack of depth on both sides. It's just a matter of how long the starting pitching could hold. Do you go at least five innings and low scoring effort? Or if they if they could outslug each other, which I think would be most likely the case that would happen in this series. Yeah. This is gonna be an interesting series, like you said, there's a lot more dynamics than I anticipated, which is why I now I'm coming around onto your statement from before. All right. This game starts, this series starts at 3 p.m. on Tuesday on your eight, your local ABC station. We have complete the American League, Kazuki. Take a quick break, pay, recognize our sponsors and coming up after the break, we travel to the National League. So we're going to go to Milwaukee, Philadelphia. Today's episode of Sign Our Baseball is presented by Anchor. Anchor is a platform that helps us create and deliver you this podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Anchor is available at no cost to its users and is accessible at home or on the go. To get started with creating your own work on Anchor, visit anchor.fm slash start. That's anchor.fm slash start. Welcome back. We've done the American League. And now we're time to finish off the wildcard series preview with the National League. And we're going 
to the Brew Crew up to Milwaukee. These games will start at 7 p.m. Eastern time on the Deuce ESPN2 on Tuesday and Wednesday and potentially Thursday of this week. And we'll start with the home team, the champions of the AL Central, the Milwaukee Brewers. And yeah, this one's the, um, <laughs> not my favorite series. Not to your be favorite honest. series, but it's if you're if you're kind of like a I want to see what I don't know kind of series, which is why I, I said in the earlier uh, part of the show. This is interesting to me. So we'll start with Milwaukee Brewers. Their strength is everyone on the mound. Their mound, their, their mound presence is incredible. Uh, starters got Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta, and there are more, but those are the three-headed monster. Uh, Corbin Burns, Cy Young winner of previous years, 3.39 ERA with a 3.5 war out of 32 games started. Brandon Woodruff has a 2.28 ERA, which is very low and very good. He also has almost a not has a greater than a 90% left on base percentage. In that division, that's great. Uh, and that for that team is great. Freddie Peralta has 3.86 ERA, almost almost 11 and a half strikeouts per nine innings. Though not as dominant as previous years, they the, those three are quite good. I believe the third or the fourth or fifth starter, which I don't think we'll see in the postseason, will be Adrian Hauser. I don't think we'll see him as a starter, but definitely yeah, I mean, in the, he in the definitely uh, carried the you know long man and felt any, any gaps when you know Woodruff was injured. But you know he is a four ERA pitcher, which you know I think they'll use him as like two inning guy for the postseason. Obviously, it was a cancel, so it'll be interesting to see how that's going to go, but. I think uh, their biggest strength after the starting pitching is what, you know, we were going to talk about is probably bullpen, which has the third best uh, ERA in all of baseball with 3.43 and second best uh, uh, left on base percentage is 76.3%. And I think, uh, you know why, and we have the rookie of the year of 2020 and National League was Devin Williams leading the charge closer for the Brewers, Brew Crew, who uh, has a 1.53 ERA. 13.35 K per nine and 85% left on base percentage, which is huge. But I think the biggest part about this uh, Brewers bullpen committed last season where they collapsed is the fact that um, they have two additional arms that helped out was Joey Pyops was 81% uh, left on base percentage, 2.55 ERA in 69 games. And then Hobie Milner was 73 games at 1.82 ERA, 84% left on base, and 8.3% home runs per five ball rate, which is pretty low compared to that standard 10%. So I think those are great numbers, don't you think, Brandon? That's, I think that's really, like you said, they're, 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 if they can control the game on the mound, this team can win both games. Uh, yeah. But their weakness is the flip. It's the hitting. Their 23rd in WRC plus is only 92, which is 8% below the average. They're sixth worst in slugging at 381. They're eighth worst at batting average at 240 with an o, with an on-base percentage of 319. Again, no 30 home run hitters. Willie Adamas was the leader at 24 home runs, but he only batted 216 with a 93 uh, WRC plus. And then William Contreras had 17 home runs, uh, batted 290, 78 RBIs, 5.4 war. Kristen Yelich. Uh, Resurgence enough for him. Reset, re- 19 home runs, 76 RBIs, a four war. And then the acquisition of Mark Hanna, uh, who now has a 120 plus. WRC plus as well. So is, can they get enough out of their bats? We'll talk about that. So we get to the end, but that's, that's the thing. They, can they get enough out of it? Cause yeah. their pitching is stellar. Can they get enough out of the other hitters to kind of do it? Uh, because I would say the, the flip is, um, this is a more interesting team out of the, the Diamondbacks. They don't make a lot of national games. You, know, you have to like really kind of like, you have to get to be like a, 
really into the to baseball and really, you know, stay up late to watch their games. They're Not very to mention, quiet. They lost, um, you know, their national broadcast. I mean, their RSM right, broadcast. So, so this that that's our shameless plug. Go back, listen to our episode with Adam. Uh, that is on. If you can find it on LinkedIn, it will be up on a podcast feed probably in the off season. Uh, 100 minutes of all the information you know about how we watch baseball. Uh, but the Arizona Diamondbacks are very clutch. Uh, they are the top two in clutch factor. They have a 6.12 in high leverage situations, which is very good. Uh, they have 166 stolen bases, primarily led by Corbin Carroll. Um, we'll get to Corbin Carroll in a second. They have a higher batting average in Milwaukee at 50, which is not great, but in the middle of the pack. Their top players are Corbin Carroll, who is rookie of the year candidate. I mean, the guy is incredible. 285 yeah, batting average. native too. Yeah, has a huge contract. Got this offseason. It's a 25 home run, 76 RBIs, 54 stolen bases, and a 133 RWRC plus. The former Mariner, Cattell Marte, uh, 276 um, batting average, 25 home runs, 82 RBIs, 127 WRC plus. And then Christian Walker, who was their 30 home run hitter with 33 home runs, 138. RBIs, a 258 batting average, 120 WRC plus. They're very, they're good. I mean, they have a lot of players you probably don't really know a whole lot about, but they're very good. Yep. Corbin Carroll, which is more public. The rest are very good. And so you can pay attention to them. Uh, their weaknesses though are. Yeah, it's, uh, um, it's, that's a tough part. Cause uh, we named they're the just They're hitters. mediocre. They're mediocre, which is yep. kind of like the middle of the pack. Hitting is not great. They have a 98, they have a below average w, WRC plus of 98, which is 18. yeah 18th to best. Yeah, it's crazy. They have, they have 166 home runs total, uh, which is 22nd in the league. Their pitching has the 4.47 ERA, 71.1 left on base percentage, and 8.47 K per nine rate, which is yeah, pretty bottom, mid for the most 10, part. Uh, but, 23rd best. But, but we do need to highlight their two starters uh, who's been and, stellar right, this and, season. And through those who watch the World Baseball Classic, you may recognize some of these names. Zach Gallen, uh, who has a 17-9 and nine record, 3.747 ERA, uh, 9.43 K per nine, and a 5.2 uh, war. And then Merrill Kelly, who I believe was the, he was the pitcher for uh, Team USA in the World Baseball Classic. Um, he's a 12-8 and eight record, 3.29 ERA, and 3.2 war. They yeah. have not announced their starting pitching yet uh, for both teams for this game, but I think that's why intriguing about this matchup is the starting pitching. Uh, if you're going Zach Gallen versus Corbin Burns, Merrill Kelly versus Brandon Woodruff, Ray Peralta, that's a that's a quite an interesting game one again too. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, yeah, that's what I, that that's what I look at with this team is like. There's a lot that we may not have seen for both these teams because they don't make a lot of national. They're pretty quiet nationally. Uh, but they're very good and they have a lot of young talent on both teams. I, I think that's, what's going to be the most exciting part about this. Um, yeah. again, mm-hmm. this series will begin on Tuesday, 7 PM Eastern on the deuce ESPN two. And we'll continue on that time slot and channel for the remainder uh, of this series. Yeah. Give me one sec on telling the, uh, takeaway for this series. Uh, having seen both teams, I would say. Obviously, it's going to come down to the starting pitching, but for Arizona, especially, they really need to start running a lot if they make noises. Oh yeah, and, that's their and strength. Their, they got they got they got all these strong bases, especially yeah, Carroll and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, but get get to their get to their bullpen. But obviously, they need to have a lead before the seventh or eighth because you don't want to face Devin Williams and his airbender nope. uh, changeup. I think that's one thing 
uh, Arizona needs to avoid at this point, despite them being clutch and they need to score early if they can. But I think this is going to be one of the low scoring affairs we'll probably see out of the series. Yeah, I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of that, honestly. Although, but, yeah. I, I think a, a home run or two could make a difference, right? Was Milwaukee, for instance, you had Domingo, uh, not Domingo, but uh, Carlos Santana uh, uh, in that team. And he's been pretty clutch, obviously, if you've seen last season. And then, obviously, and then for Arizona, my concern with Arizona is more about their lack of playoff experience because it's a young oh, none roster. Of them. None of them. The only playoff experience player is Paul Seawald, it seems like. Uh, yeah, but that's like what, like a one like round. What's, <laughs> like, that's know. like what's one inning. Uh, at yeah. Best. Uh, so yeah, uh, yeah, that's that series. And then we move to the series that is the only divisional series at the bank. Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia starting at 8 p.m. on ESPN, the main ESPN. So this will be the second game of the doubleheader uh, each night starting on Tuesday. The Miami Marlins will play the Philadelphia Phillies. Hey, Brandon, before we go into the matchup, can we talk about their history? Because I think we need to uh, talk about the significance of both teams and we're dirty. Oh, go going ahead. Into. You have to. This is a, this is important because, like I said, divisional opponents. We got we have we have a, we have a little more information about them. Yeah. So let me start off with the Miami Marlins. So they clinched their playoff uh, berth for the first time in twenty years since like the full seasons. Uh, if we're right, not they were the they clinched, they clinched in twenty twenty, which was the modified COVID playoff, year. right? Yeah. So they have a modified playoff. It's their first actual. Full season, 162 game season that they missed the playoffs in 20 years, which is a wow. Yeah, which is crazy. And if you look at that history, Marlins is known to uh, win a playoff game when they make the playoff minus the uh, COVID year. So I think right. that's the, the interesting so, part. I mean, of we all think about them making the playoffs. We think about times they won the World Series. Like, yeah, two out of two. Uh, they're right. two for two minus COVID. And then right. obviously, uh, next part is we we want to talk about the Philadelphia Phillies who made the World Series last year and uh, lost in six games to the Houston Astros. And they're, and, back. They're, and they're back was like, you know, almost full strength. Obviously, not having Reese Hoskins is not great, but Bryce Harper is going to take over first and having Trey Turner and a revitalized roster will be an interesting run between a lucky charm team versus a more revamped roster of last season. So, uh, yeah, yeah, if you want to so, get into the uh, breakdown well, of both let's teams. Let's get the breakdown. So let's start with the Philadelphia Phillies, the home team. Uh, their strengths are a lot of them, but let's start with their bats. Top 10 on base percentage, 327. Top nine in total home runs at 218. Uh, they run very well. They have 140 stolen bases, which is top 10 in the league. They're number seven overall. Trey Turner, who struggled so much late in the summer. Uh, finished the season batting 266 with 26 home runs, 76 RBIs, 30 stolen bases, and a 108 WRC+. Bryson stopped 277, 15 home runs, 61 RBIs, 99 WRC+. Bryce Harper, whose name we know the most. Let's go through Bryce Harper. In his, you know, comeback season after his surgery, 293 with a 21 home runs, 84 RBIs, 142 RP, uh, WRC+. And then... To the another set of acquisitions, Brandon Marsh and Kyle Schwarber. Kyle Schwarber, not a great batting average this year, uh, batting sub 200, but 47 home runs. 47 home runs with 108 RBIs and 120 WRC. And then Brandon Marsh, the former Angel, 276 uh, batting average, 11 home runs, 57 runs batted in with a 123 WRC. That's the middle of their lineup. 
or the actually that's the top that's not the, that's the top five that the top five batters like that's one through five. five batted by warp and we're missing nick castellanos obviously who's had right. a great all-star that's almost season the top five batters in the batting order because it's schwarber harper turner like they kind of mix and match at the top but that's kind of like their top five one through five too just, yeah, and then Castellanos and JT Real Muto, depending on the matchup. Um, obviously, we didn't list uh, JT here because of the fact that he's having a down year. But those are your top five war leader um, right. for the and Phillies. Then they're pitching. So tell me about their pitching because their pitching is, I yeah, think, where they've improved the most from last year. It's a very interesting uh, stats to break down. Uh, it's really odd. So first, um, some positive is... Uh, they have a uh, highest war out of all, all the pitching in the league at 24.3. And that's mainly coming to starting pitching at 17.7. And the main reason because they have high war is because of the fact that Muslim pitched a lot of innings at 898 innings pitched in a top four and ground ball rate at 44.7%. Uh, top six in walks per nine at 2.54%. And uh, surprisingly, this is a Dombrowski not special because Dombrowski's teams are usually filled with awful bullpen, but top seven bullpen ERA at 3.6, top four in K per nine at 9.82, and top 11 in uh, uh, runners left on base at 73%. And the main cog out of the pitching is obviously Zach Wheeler, six war, 13 and six, 32 games started, 192 innings pitch, 3.61 ERA. Aaron Nola, Despite the down year, is a 3.9 war with 32 games started, 193 and two thirds innings pitched. And I would want to know two uh, big key cogs who will be for the postseason at bullpen. It will be uh, Jose Alvarado, who pitched 42 games, 13.94 K per nine, 1.74 ERA, was a 75.3% left on base. And then obviously, kicks uh, Craig Kimbrell, who has a career resurgence here, was a Phillies. And had a 400 uh, save mark as well at 12.26 K per nine was a 77.4% left on base percentage. So it's an interesting bunch, but there are some negative out there pitching. Uh, Brandon, do you want to take that away? Sure. So sorry, let's start with, you know, what they're not so great at. Uh, They have a a pretty low left on base percentage, uh, 71%, which is overall. And their pitchers is below 70%, which is pretty low compared to other teams. Uh, they're, they walk, up, they give a lot, a lot of walks about four per game, predominantly that favors the bullpen with a higher, if you were to, you know, weight the average, the weight would be higher on the bullpen. Um, they're middle of the road and clutch factor. Uh, they lost 1.39%, 1.39 wins, uh, in clutch situations this year. And they also have a 20, almost a 24% K rate. So they strike out a lot. And I that goes forward pride up um, pretty much. Uh, yeah. About that way. Uh, the, the, the crazy part about that uh, cost Warper split is you look at that 197 betting average, but a uh, over 300 home runs and at 300 on base. So his OPS is like over 800, which is kind of crazy to like to look through as a stat right. line. It's, it's a very unbalanced statistic. And I will close, we'll close on the um, Phillies with this. They have put their two probable starters out. Same with the Marlins, but we'll start with the Phillies. It is Zach Wheeler in game one and game two is Aaron Nola. So, so it's the same as last year. Correct. It is the same strategy as last season in 2022. So let's go. 
So the team that can't lose in the playoffs, and that's the Miami Marlins. Uh, their strengths, they are a clutch team. They have a clutch factor of 2.31 wins. They are top six in Major League Baseball. They have a high batting average thanks to, as everyone can imagine, the National League batting champ, Luis Arise. He has 354 batting average, 10 home run, 16 RBIs, and a 132 WRC+. Plus. Uh, they acquired some very important players at the trade deadline. First off, Jake Berger from the White Sox, if I remember correctly, right? The Jake Berger from the yep. White Sox. What a great trade. Yeah, 290. I, I, I remember being in my car listening to that trade. I'm like, this, I don't know who this player is, but I could, he sounds like he means a lot to them because uh, the White Sox were mad. They let him go. Uh, he bets 298 with nine home runs, 28 RBI since the trade uh, with 120 WRC+. Plus. And then... They also have another trade acquisition, Josh Bell, who's banked 270 with 11 home runs, 26 RBIs, with a 119 WRC plus since arriving on the team. And then the other person who has been with the team since the start of the season, banked 250, 36 home runs, 75 RBIs, with a 126 WRC plus, is Jorge Soler. Um, they are good. And they also don't strike out again, probably next to Luis Arise. They have a 21.2% K rate, which is bottom seven. So the best top 10 best so it's the lowest it's like par in golf got to reverse it um they're pitching now we will first say that we are sad they do not have sandy alcantara and yuri perez but yeah starting pitching but, overall top 10 in war 11.3 war top eight and this is starting pitching by the way top eight in uh, k per nine and nine and top 10 and left on base percentage, 73.7%. Yuri Perez and... Um, and down here from Sandy Alcantara. Actually, a right. massive down here from Sandy Alcantara. And they're still producing these numbers. So yeah. it's quite good. Uh, and then top nine RPA and ERA at 4.13. And then you got some you got some more stats here that are just, you know, absolutely yeah. astounding for this team. So again, top a bunch five of really in, young players. Yep, top five in uh, ground ball percentage at 44.4%. And this is led by... I don't think we expected all this, but, you know, I think there was a high ups, upside with that trade when they started, uh, traded Starling Marte, 21, but Jesus Lazardo, uh, who came from the A's trade, 3.7 uh, war, was a 10.48 K per nine, 3.63 ERA, 32 games started, 75% left on base. And then the other rookies, Braxton Garrett, you know, finally got caught up last year. And really grown and grew and developed as a good starting pitcher at nine and seven, three point six six ERA, seventy five point nine percent left on base was a three hundred two uh, BABIPs, a little bit high, but I think uh, he'll get to it. And Yuri Perez, which is probably the gem of their call ups from this season, three point one five ERA was a ten point six four K per nine and an eighty three point three percent left on base percentage, which has been huge. And lastly, their bullpen, something to highlight. Some positive would be the top seven in K per nine at 9.67 K per nine. It was uh, Tanner Scott who closed out their, uh, you know, playoff berth clinching game in Pittsburgh at 2.8 war was a 2.31 ERA, 76.8% uh, left on base percentage, 12 K per nine. You know, great. We had a pitcher coming from the Orioles who struggled a bit, but bounced back. And then AJ Puck, also another Oakland A was a 3.97 ERA, 3.59 FIP, and a 12.39 per K. So, I mean, there's some positive in the bullpen, but obviously a lot of negative, which is why they 
picked a lot a lot of them up in the waiver wire. Uh, Brandon, you want to take this one away? Yes, their bullpen's got a 4.34 ERA overall, which is high. Uh, they also walk almost three and a half batters per game, uh, per nine inning, sorry. Uh, and they live on base only 71% of batters, which is, again, quite low. Uh, like we talked about earlier, Sandy Alcantara and Yuri Perez have been, uh, that is rough. Um, they have no power uh, when it comes to their hitting. They only have 166 home runs and a 95 WRC plus as a team, which is below average. Uh, and they only stole 24 base, 20, they're 24th in stolen bases at 86 uh, yeah, for the it's, season. It's surprising considering it's a, you know, low power, low power, low high power, contact young, team. low power, high contact, young team. Think about a lot of their things, uh, a lot of their players like Jazz Chisholm and, Brad, and Brian De La Cruz. Like they don't get on, they're not base dealers. They get on base, but they're not base dealers. Um, so that's it. Um, I will close out with something to, to look at. So like I said, we know the starters for this series. Probable starter for game one, Jesus Lazardo. Game two, this is, the, this is the one that I'm curious about because he says a rookie. Braxton Garrett will get the ball supposedly in game two against Aaron Nola in Philadelphia on Wednesday. Yeah. So that is going to be interesting. Yeah, what's well, um, going to be interesting, you know, also is all uh, there's a lot of lefties in that rotation. Um, and then obviously the bullpen too, Tanner Scott, AJ Puck, not many righties per se, you know, in their bullpen. And obviously they can't even bring Matt Moore because uh, he joined the team pretty late from the waiver. So uh, I'm not sure how this is going to really pull out. And, 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 you know, they had JT Charcois even start a game. So if it comes to game three, it might be tough for the fish, you know, to be honest. Um, and the hitting will be really depending on how, you know, the trade headline acquisition of Josh Bell and Jake Berger could carry them. And Luisa Rise obviously needing to uh, hit in key moments. Um, but Marlins have that uh, interesting juju effect in that they never lost a playoff series in a full regular season game. So this could be interesting. But obviously, Phillies, it's probably more towards the Phillies concerning that they the play really team, well they're, they're, the, yep. they're the team that has much more experience and they're the home team. Uh, yep. So that's the preview. This game start at on Tuesday afternoon. Stay tuned. We will be probably back with you later on. Joins the Boston Red Sox and all of Major League Baseball in mourning the passing of Red Sox Hall of Famer Tim Wakefield, a two-time World Series champion. He enjoyed a 19-year Major League career with the Pittsburgh Pirates and Boston Red Sox. As one of the most charitable players in the game, he was nominated for the prestigious Roberto Clemente Award eight times, winning the award in 2010. Tim Wakefield embodied true goodness, a devoted husband, father, teammate, beloved broadcaster, and the ultimate community leader. He gave- But we're gonna close out the show with some in memoriams and some honors. Like I said, this, the regular season's over. Um, today, Sunday, October 1st, we got the terrible, terrible news that Tim Wakefield, the perennial knuckleball pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, passed away at the age of 57 after a battle with cancer. He pitched for 19 years in major leagues. He was a two-time World Series champion, literally saving the series for the Boston Red Sox on two occasions in 2004, 2007. He was a 2009 All-Star. He was also a 2010 Roberto Clemente Award winner. I have been lucky enough to see Tim Wakefield pitch, I want to say three times. Um, and at first, I hated watching him pitch. Be very honest with everyone. Uh, he's slow. He does not throw a lot of fastballs. He was not like a ball. And he made every, you either going to score a bunch of runs on him or he's going to absolutely shut you out. And by about the second, by the second time I saw him, 
It was watching, you know, kind of like a slow motion art form. It was great to watch him pitch because if you compare him, because I grew up with Mares, obviously, J.D. Moyer, not a very fast pitcher, but they would just find a way. And the way that the Boston Red Sox behind him supported him was incredible, especially in those two World Series years. He is in it. He, he put the knuckleball on the map for a generation of pitchers and a generation of fans. He'll be dearly missed in the sport of baseball. And I am very curious to watch how uh, the Red Sox will honor him when they return to play in 2024. Yeah. And, you know, for me, uh, watching a lot of the Yankees Red Sox game growing up, you know, Tim Wakefield has been a nightmare, you know, just uh, watching his knuckleball and no one could figure out how to hit him. And obviously that Aaron Boone home run in 2003 uh, ALCS. It's pretty magical to see and watch and kind of remember where it's like the first time ever someone hit his ball and drove it deep. Like, and then the very next season they come back and won the World Series. Yeah, uh, and the and the great part about Tim Wakefield is that he's always been a team player. Like, no matter what, he will come in to close whenever he needed. That's right. And he I, was and a think, closer, and that was so cool. And I think the biggest part for me uh, that I've noticed, and I got to give an applause, is I think in 2007, uh, ALCS, in a crucial moment, uh, Daisuke Matsuzaka not finish an inning. And I think they had to use up a, a bullpen. And I think the biggest part is um, him going to Terry Francona, who we're going to mention a little in a little bit. Um, he told him that, you know, to let him pitch and to not pull him at all because he knew that the bullpen was gas the next day. And he went the full eight innings and shut out that Cleveland offense. Uh, he's uh, he's one of the biggest stand-up guy. And I think even when the Red Sox lost in that 03 series, like no one blamed him ever. No. Everyone knows he's a team player. And like he would like always like, you know, put himself in front of the team right. and been an overall great guy. And I think there's no hate behind him whatsoever. No, he, like I said, he was the player that if you watched him pitch in Boston, every player knew exactly what they like. We had the Veritech specialized with the specialized catcher kind of idea, but every player on that Red Sox team knew when Tim's on the mound, we're gonna have a different type of game. And we're gonna stand behind him, and he's gonna keep us in the game. And he did that for so many years for them. Um, so again, a, a a sad farewell, but a great memory of the knuckleballer Tim Wakefield. Now to some awards and some retirements for this year. Um, Adam Wainwright is now retiring from baseball after a lengthy career with the St. Louis Cardinals. He got his 200 wins, finished his career with a 3.5 ERA, 2,200 Ks, three-time All-Star, one-time World Champion, two-time Will Glover, and a 2017 Silver Slugger Award. Uh, so Adam Wainwright, who is now pursuing a music career, um, is retiring from baseball, so good on him. Uh, Luis Arise is the first player to win a consecutive batting title in both leagues. He won it in... Um, as a twin in 2022, and then as a Marlin in 2023. Uh, so what an award, what a what a past two seasons for him. Ronald Acuna Jr. had a, a season for the ages. Um, 40 home runs, 70, 70 stolen bases, which is incredible. Um, the Braves um, will be featured, obviously, in the division series round when we get to there, but that team is built up from some great talent namely Ronald Acuna Jr. Um, Estuary Ruiz, a rookie uh, for the Oakland Athletics. I want to check that. I want to check that stat. Uh, he was the AL rookie stolen base record 
older now uh, with 67 stolen bases this year, which is for a team that was so bad, he was so good. Uh, the Dodgers have now won three straight Hunter win seasons, 2021, 2022, and 2023. They won the NL West after not leading the NL West for a while, uh, but they took home the NL West Brown. MLB attendance was at 70, total, 70 million plus this year, most since 2017. The average attendance rose 9.2% um, from 2022. It is since 2017, the total average, the average attendance per stadium per game is 32,000, which is quite remarkable. Obviously, this is the first season where we had shorter games due to the new time rules. Uh, and then a very happy retirement to Miguel Cabrera. And we'll talk about Terry Francona. Miguel Cabrera finished his career with the Detroit Tigers and we part of their front office now. In 2023, he finished with four home runs, 34 RBIs and 334 at-bats, which would be average. But his career stat line, in just under 2,800 games, 306 batting average, 511 RBIs, 1,881 RBI, uh, 511 home runs, 3,174 hits, a career war of 67.4. He was a two-time AL MVP, a 2012 Triple Crown winner, a 12-time All-Star, a 2003 World Series champion, and a member of now the 500 Home Run Club. He's incredible. I mean, it's just remarkable to watch him play. Um, and I'm curious to see what he will add. I think of him like Ichiro. Like they came up around the same time and they just were prolific hitters. Obviously, Miguel putting a lot yeah. more home runs in the stands uh, in each row, but they're prolific and I, hitters. And I remember this 2003 run when he was facing Roger Clemens, you know, a rookie facing off against a grunt, uh, you know, a very experienced veteran. And I knew, uh, there was like a fastball to his head and he did not face at all. And next thing you know, he hits that home run. That clearly once they came for the Marlins, uh, you know, right. he's he has a strong mental clutch. Right. He is probably. I, I mean, of the last 20 years, probably one of the best hitters of all of that uh, easily. Uh, so a very fond farewell to him and then a fond farewell to the to Kevin Wakefield's manager, the Boston Red Sox and now the Cleveland Indians manager, uh, Terry Francona, who has been battling some health uh, challenges, but has managed incredibly he is one of the best managers of my lifetime as a baseball fan uh he finishes his banjo career with 1,950 wins three al pennants two world series champions chips with the boston red sox in 04 and 07 he is the three-time al manager of the year in probably the most honest yet brash manager i can imagine in the last 20 years uh he's incredible uh it's remarkable to watch him it's remarkable to watch him you know like you said, he would go up to a pitcher and you would have this sense of, you know what he's going to say to you. He's going to make sure that you're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. We're going to get through this. Uh, and that's what he did for the Red Sox for many, many years. And he even did with the with the, the Guardians uh, because he managed them very well as like a second coming for him after his career with the um, Red Sox ended. Uh, but that's the end. Uh, any thoughts on the great Terry Francona uh, before we hit to the to the show closing? I mean, it's just like Tim Wakefield, right? Like what a prolific career and how he cultivates a winning culture and obviously breaking that curse uh, after a field. Uh, yes, that's right. He broke the yeah. curse not once, but twice. Um, yeah. And the and, field, uh, you know, managerial career from Philadelphia, you know, 
he came to Boston was not much of a high expectation and he did so well with that, uh, you know, lovable losers, right, in the L4 era and, you know, won it two times and came to Cleveland and really cultivated a really good pitching staff and a young crew that, you know, created a whole dynasty. I mean, despite them not winning anything, they had a huge dynasty as the Cleveland Guardians and had a lot of winning. The Guardians were always good and then they became better for several years under Terry Francona. And that's how we'll obviously, you know, his left his, that's his legacy in baseball. He made teams better. That's all you want as manager. I'll make my teams better. And he did. Uh, with that, we're going to end the, we're going to close out the show. Like I said, we apologize for our LinkedIn audience. We are not live on LinkedIn. The copy, the copy is not on LinkedIn uh, immediately this time. So we apologize, but we hope you back for next. So make sure you follow myself and Kazuki on LinkedIn and subscribe wherever you find your podcast. Um, our shout outs, to the great cowboy Bob, to the people of regular Virginia and Margaret Shelton, to our fluffy listeners. That's Winnie, Bandit, Gatsby, and all the other fluffy ones. We are the number one baseball podcast for the pets. Like we said, our plan is to be back with everyone after Wildcard Series concludes, which will be at latest Thursday. So there's a break between Saturday is when the Division Series begins. Uh, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. Please follow us on LinkedIn. And until next time, we hope to see you on the field again quite soon. That's it for this episode of Center Baseball. This episode of Center Baseball is hosted and produced by me, Kazuki Akiba and Brandon Beiser. This episode was edited by Kazuki Akiba with additional research by Brandon Beiser. Our theme song is by Kay Margus. Center Baseball is a production of Daylight and Media 3 Limited. We'll be back with another episode. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast as more people will know about this show. Go to daylightinteractive.com to see some exclusive updates and more about our upcoming shows. I'm Kazuki Akiba. And I'm Brandon Beiser. And this has been Sound Our Baseball.